Pastor Mike Randall, if we've not met, it's great to be able to share this fifth in the series of the 40-day challenge. You've already heard uh, Lauren kind of lead us in prayer a couple of times, introduce our offering today. Uh, as she pointed out, she's a candidate for ministry, uh, already been for what's called the District Committee on Ministry. Uh, she's been through licensing school, will begin seminary in the fall. And uh, so we're excited for her and her journey to become a pastor here in this church and for the United Methodist Church. You can give her applause. <laughs> You know, we, we love when young people in our church spend time with us. She's already serving our church in a number of ways, some volunteers, some paid staff, and we love that when they just feel God's call to go beyond that into serving our church in a broader way as a pastor, she is doing that. Pray for her and her journey in seminary and ordination, all that's about. If you don't know, becoming a United Methodist pastor is very difficult to do. It takes a lot of prayer, a lot of work, a lot of study, uh, a lot of interviews, a lot of committees, a lot of schooling. Uh, and we celebrate that when someone is ordained an elder in our church, they are prepared really to make a difference in the world. And she's heading that direction, already doing so. We celebrate that today. You remember a couple of things that we gave in the early announcements today in the video. I uh, hope you'll join us in passing out some of the invitations to Easter. Uh, some of the invitations uh, to the, the day before. We have a special kind of a family day. Uh, those, those brochures or cards are at the back. Take some with you. Give them out your family, friends, neighbors. You can also mail them if you'd like. It's our way of sharing the story. You saw the in your seats, you might have seen a little uh, a piece of paper there, a little note about uh, Easter eggs. It's also a way you can tell the story around our community. We hope many will do that. It's very simple to do. It's a way of telling someone that we think you'll enjoy uh, hearing the Easter good news. We think you'll need that Easter good news. We'll have you hear that through and, and with our church family. You'll note Easter is coming up very quickly. Next week is Palm Sunday. Yes, it's here. Uh, then Holy Week, and there are special services that week. And Easter, we have, we have several services at the Performing Arts Center for Easter this year. MISD Performing Arts Center, we've been doing that the last three years. Uh, we'll have Saturday night, uh, 9 o'clock, 11 o'clock on Sunday. 8.15 will be here in the sanctuary for those who prefer meeting here. But we'd love to have you go there and enjoy worship at that location with uh, all the community, uh, uh, our way of celebrating Easter. To, uh, Easter. Now we're in the, again, 40-day challenge. He must become greater. I must become less. What that means. And those words are really a key, key idea about happiness, which is what the message is titled today. Uh, my dad... Uh, Somewhere in our life, my dad was always going to have the talk with all of his, all of his kids. You know the talk? Not the talk you might be thinking of. It's a different kind of talk. He had the same talk with all of his grandkids as well and the older great-grandchildren also. And that talk was about money. Uh, my dad grew up in the Depression. Money was a big deal. He knew that you needed to care for yourself in the future. So he had the talk in our life, and you know when you're a kid, you give the eye roll when the talk time is. Dad said, you need to start saving money now. Dad, I'm only 13. You need to start saving money today. You never know what the future is going to bring, and you need a lifelong uh, habit of saving money. One day you'll be able to retire, do what you want. So start saving money, and so my brother and I, and my sister, did. We started saving money at, when we got our first job at 13, making 50 cents an hour, Later on, making 90 cents an hour, 
And then finally, achieving a dollar an hour before we got out of high school. At least, at least I did. A dollar an hour in a, in a couple jobs that I had uh, there in high school. We started saving money. So when I went to college after four years in the Navy and uh, was married at the time, I already had a few thousand dollars saved up for college. I got out of college only owing a very small amount of money on a student loan. I paid off very quickly. And since then, I've been saving money every month, all my life. And... I'm glad. I'm glad that we. That I'm glad my dad gave me the talk. Remember the talk, Michael? Yeah, Michael, my son. He's had the talk. <laughs> Save the money. You're going to need it. It's set aside. We're ready. Things are going to be okay because of the talk. Because my dad knew what he was talking about. Do you hear me? He knew what he was talking about every month. You're going to be glad you did it. It's going to help you in the future. You may have to sacrifice now, but down the road, you'll be very happy that you do what I tell you to do. Oh, no, not the talk. But we all listen, still listening, still receive that message. Even my dad's been in heaven now for a few years. Okay, now, now Jesus, how many, how many know that Jesus knows what he's talking about, Right? Now, do you really believe that? I know you came to church, so you got some kind of sense that Jesus is something. You know, maybe it's, well, I, want, I need somebody to get me to heaven. I, can't, I don't know where it is. I've got to have somebody show me where it is. Maybe he knows. Maybe that's, maybe that's it. Maybe somebody today said, get out of bed and go to church. I don't care if you want to go or not. Maybe that's you. Don't raise your hand if that's you. You know, we all have reasons that we're here. But somewhere, Jesus is the center of that. This idea that Maybe, or probably, or I hope, or I know that Jesus knows what he's talking about. You know, uh, Jesus said it this way. I want to teach you how to build your house on a rock. It's a parable he used, and not sand. If you do, when life gets tough, you'll be fine. But if you don't, your life will wash away. Then he told us, very clearly what building our, his, our life on a rock was. You know what he said? He said, doing what I tell you. <laughs> doing the things that I command you to do will make your house solid and strong and secure. I will say today, even happy if you do what I tell you to do. When he said to his followers after the resurrection, here's what I want. I want you to go and make disciples and, you know the rest of the verse? Teach them everything that I've taught you. I want you to teach them what I have taught you. And there have been times that I've given my kids the talk. Uh, we'll sit down and say, are you saving money? Uh, are, have you been putting any money into a kind of retirement thing even though you don't need it yet? You know, have you, are you doing that? Do you have an IRA yet? Have you created that? Are you paying into your pension program? You may need that. I still have to talk with them, and they probably still maybe occasionally roll the eyes, and grandkids roll the eyes. You know that. You've had the talk probably. Maybe you've given it. So we have to answer a question for ourselves. Does Jesus know what he's talking about? Do we listen to him? You know, the theme today is that I must decrease, he must increase. And that's the entire 40-day challenge series. And I'm going to say, that's where happiness is. Because that's a consistent, thorough, uh, ongoing teaching of our Lord. But what life should be about makes it what discipleship 
really is. I must decrease. He must increase. So now the question is today for you, are you happy? Are you happy? Is happiness a quotient for you in your journey through life? Jesus went to a place that's since been named the Mount of Beatitudes. It's really simply kind of a, a very small hillside up the side of the Sea of Galilee. We were there a few weeks ago with a bunch of people in our church family. It was called that Mount of Beatitudes. There's a little church there, other things there. And that's where Jesus taught the Beatitudes. He taught the Beatitudes to, we believe, of thousands of people who came to hear him, many to see him. Many came for, though, another reason. It was already well known that Jesus was working miracles. All of Israel was buzzing about this, this maybe Messiah, this, this prophet, this rabbi, and man, he works miracles. So many were there because we want to see a miracle. Won't that be fun? You know, like they were going to a football game or a hockey game or a baseball game. Or a, we're going to go see something really cool. We're going to see this guy work miracles. We want to see some miracles. There's no doubt there were many there for that reason. There were others who were there because they were ill maybe or had an illness or loved one had. So they were there. I want a miracle. That's, I, mean, I want a miracle, Jesus. I, I need, I, I'm crippled or I, I'm sick or I have cancer. They wouldn't know that's what it was, but there were many who he healed of cancer and diseases like that. So they were there. I'm blind. I, I can't hear. Uh, I want a miracle. They were there for that. He had already done things like feed a lot of people with a few uh, pieces of bread and a few, few, few small dried fish. You know, hey, we're hungry and, and he feeds everybody for free. We don't even have to pay a mix is right there. It's much cheaper than it is in town. You know, maybe they're there for, the mir- for that miracle and that we'll have a meal together. And, you know, there wasn't much competition for entertainment in those days. You know, where are you going to go? Well, let's go down to the Sea of Galilee. There's this teacher down there, you know. And, and I, my guess is they actually did not expect what Jesus was going to tell them. In fact, they would be stunned by what Jesus was going to say, absolutely stunned by his words that we since have coined the term Beatitudes to describe what they are. But that's what he was going to say. And he was going to sit them down and give them the talk. And here is that talk, but I want to undergird it with one uh, kind of definition for you. Uh, The Beatitudes begin typically with the words, blessed are, Blessed, the word blessed is used. Uh, I have used the word happy today. I'm going to give you the exact definition of the words blessed are you around these list of beatitudes. I'm going to look at them very quickly, and I'm going to talk about what I want to share today. Uh, The word blessing in Greek is makarios, which means happy. But happy in a way we may not necessarily get a grip on what that happiness is. Happiness for us is things are going my way. Uh, I've got some fun I'm getting ready to do. Uh, I feel good now for whatever reason. It was a much deeper, uh, more engaging, more meaningful term of happiness. Even the word blissful might be used. But it especially means happiness independent from circumstances. Most of us simply define happiness as situational. It means there's something happening that makes me happy. I'm going to do something that's going to make me happy. Thinking about something that makes me happy. 
instead of uh, a deeper, broader, more independent sense of joy that Jesus wants us to have. And so he's telling us, basically, I know what I'm talking about if you listen to me. Like my dad would say, he wouldn't actually verbalize that, verbalize it that way, but if you listen to me, I'm sure going to help you a lot. And he, we probably walked away and he probably thought, uh, they didn't listen to me. <laughs> They're not paying a bit of attention, you know. Uh, and I wonder, Jesus, sometimes, are, are these folks at First Methodist Church family, guests and visitors, are they listening to me? You know what I'm telling them today? Well, let's look at these words that I believe were stunning to those who heard them in the first century. Listen closely, they're equally stunning today. The first beatitude is this, happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You've heard this before, I just kind of like glossed over it, but poor in spirit? I thought I had to be rich in stuff, because my culture says that, rich in stuff. You know, in that time, they may say, heal to my disease or, or, or a meal in front of me that I'd have to pay for, you know, or watching someone else do something amazing that, just enthrall, that was enthralling to me, you know. And he says, no, the poor in spirit. Okay, now, now I'm not going to try to explain this, but Jesus is defining life for you and me. He, he, he focused on the reality of real life in a real world, real situations that God has sent him to inter, interact with, and the miracle, the resurrection, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the salvation of our souls, to change our life into a new way of living makes our house built upon a rock. Okay, you're with me. Second beatitude. Uh, happy are the, those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Don't raise your hand, but I know many here have mourned. Some are mourning right now. The loss of a loved one, loss of a friend. It's part of all of our lives eventually, if not early on. And Jesus says this very, very stunning thing. Happy are you if you mourn. I'll explain in a while what I think that means, but I want you to think about those words again. The third beatitude. Happy are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. Huh? What? Would you say that again, Jesus? Oh, by the way, would you work a miracle first? That's what I came for. Oh, by the way, I, I need to see where you heal my vision. I want that. And no, blessed are the meek. I'm giving you words that will help you have your life built upon a rock that when the wind and the storms come, you'll remain standing firm and you'll live a life of joy and, and peace and abundance, serving God, living for God, uh, a life that moves into everlasting life, which is what it's all about anyway. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, Jesus also said. Blessed are the, those who lose someone to death. Okay, next word. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And I love this verse. It doesn't say happy are the righteous. It says happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, whose life is driven by the motivation to live the way Jesus teaches, to walk with God, to experience His Spirit in our hearts and our lives, to yearn for seeing God face to face in heaven one day. Those who thirst for that, they, those who live for that, those who understand that's what life is about and what life really means, those who figure that out, hey, they're going to have a happy life. So it's not about being righteous that makes us happy. It's thirsting for that kind of life that God offers us in Christ. Next one. Happy are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. In a world where that was a sign of weakness, 
That was a sign of personal failure. That was a sign often of not living the way uh, that, that, that was being taught by the world they lived in. He says, happy are those who show mercy to others, whether they deserve it or not. He even said, turn the other cheek. In a world that was saying it's an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Again, they're thinking, stunning, astonishing, amazing, world-changing. Jesus is saying, heart-changing, life-changing. I'm telling you where happiness is. And you find it in your creator. This kind of life lived this way, how unique and special it is. We know it's the core of Christian faith, but often we simply just don't hear. As my dad was always suspicious, I wonder if they're listening to me. I wonder if they're really paying attention. And when you go back, he might ask, have you started your Roth IRA yet? Or he might ask, how much are you putting in pension? Or he might say, even so far as, how'd you afford that house or that car? You know, you know the eye rolls that you get when parents or grandparents give you those talks. Well, happy are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Pure in heart. Now, we often uh, mis misinterpret the word pure. We're not talking about a perfect life or a perfect heart. We're talking about purity. We're talking about honesty. We're talking about openness. We're talking about confession. We're talking about a life with God in a way that we can have with no other. But Jesus said, I want you to have this like I have it. Where he could walk in the garden, we're facing, we're facing the cross. He could say, Lord, I, I'm not sure about this cup. Would you take it from me? But nevertheless, not my will, thine be done. As he prayed through that night and led to the cross following. Happy are the peacemakers. They shall be called children of God. I think he's necessarily talking about those who stop wars from happening. He's talking about those whose life is defined by their endless pursuit for peace. Peace among others, peace in my own life, peace between me and God, peace in my family. Just peace in a way that opens the door to guiltless, loving relationships. This kind of assurance that we have with others where we're able to walk with them as we walk with God in a way that makes life worthwhile. Jesus knows that's true. The same kind of thing he prayed for for his own followers. The 12 were with him. Listen, are these men, will they become peacemakers? Will they move this place from where they are? Where they are? Finally, happy are those who are persecuted. What? <laughs> persecuted because of righteousness? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's who the kingdom of God belongs to. So stunning, so unexpected, so different than what they anticipated the Messiah would do, who would drive their enemies out, put them back in leadership in the world, and, and make everything good and perfect and whole. Nothing like that is said at all. So if, if you're persecuted because you believe in me, happy are you. Happy are the peacemakers. Happy are those who are persecuted for my name. Happy are the merciful. A very different definition of happiness, right? Not situational, but relational. Please hear that. He's saying happiness is not situational, it's relational. With God, with others, Jesus talked about it all the time. He said, if you do what I tell you, your house will be built on a solid rock. When the wind and waves and storms come, you won't have to worry a bit. But if not, be like built on sand. And your life and all that matters will simply wash away before you.
And he said, I promise it'll happen. One way or the other, it's your choice. As he shares these stunning words we call the Beatitudes. It's a different definition of happiness, not temporary, but everlasting, enduring, persevering. What amazing words that our Lord is telling us if we would listen to them and all with the core of his own cross and his own resurrection we call the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to say a thought that I want you to listen closely to if I can as I begin to try to summarize uh, these massive ideas that are coming at us today. We must rewrite the program that says happy are the rich, happy are the beautiful, happy are the intelligent, happy are the famous, happy are the powerful or the athletic. These things are fine and good, can be advantageous if part of, in, if part of your life, especially they are put in God's service. But Jesus never connects happiness with them. He never does that. He connects happiness with faith and love and mercy that we're called upon to live by and the core of his own cross. And Jesus was happy. He was happy. Uh, years ago when I was in college, uh, Rhonda and I were already married, but a couple kids at this time, occasionally come home from Missouri on vacation and on this one season, stayed with my mom and dad there, and, and my dad, who uh, at that time, he was retired from the military. At that time, he was managing a lot of convenience stores in West Texas. He said, if you want a job for a couple days, I've got one for you. I said, tell me where and when. We needed money to feed our kids and to pay our bills, and I took every job I could get all the way through college. This was one of those. Okay, I'll go. And it was in Cross Plains, Texas, where there's still a small convenience store. At one time, it was Town & Country Convenience Store. My dad managed that store with many and many others as well. How many know where Cross Plains is? You almost have to be going there or going through there somewhere. If you, if you shoot deer, you might have been in that area. There's a lot of deer running around Cross Plains. The school is called the Buffaloes. The Methodist Church there burned down a few years ago. They rebuilt it to give you an idea about Cross Plains, Texas. A little grass fire hit that church, took it out. And I went for a few days, and my job was to do inventory. How many have ever been involved in an inventory? In fact, it's hard not to do that if you ever have worked anywhere. Either you've seen it done or you've done it because every industry has some kind of, you have to know the reality to do anything else, right? Whatever it happens to be. You have no choice to take the next step in progress or growth or making a buck or whatever the reason that that company or organization exists. You have to somewhere do inventories. And so I did an inventory, so I learned how to count Cokes. You know, I learned how to count cigarettes, how to count candy and and cigars, and and how to count uh, uh, packages of uh, of snacks, and they're full of snacks. And I learned how to do that, you know, uh, and made a little, little bit of money doing it as well. But I learned about inventory. Now, part of this whole idea is, and Jesus is helping us understand that, is taking an inventory, taking an inventory of our own lives, which most of us do not like to do. And if we do, we don't often take the time to do that. Here are some of the things I think he's saying as we think about taking an inventory of our real condition in the light of the Beatitudes, what our Lord is teaching us, much broader than even the words that are said, there are more to it than that if we really can consume them properly. Things like this. 
happy as a sinner because they seek the grace of God. Right? Right? Happy as a sinner because when they realize that's who we are, who I am, our own reality and our own truth and what that is, and we are stunned sometimes by the magnitude of that in our own life, when the cross defines what sin really is, it draws us to the grace of God, simply washes that away. Isn't that great? Isn't that where happiness is? Happy is the lost, are the lost because they seek God's salvation. Someone who knows they're lost. They need God. They recognize their brokenness. And they're drawn to the Lord who simply saves us. Jesus, Peter knew how to do that. He just said, Jesus, save me. And the Lord reached down, pulled him out of the water. Happy are the lost, huh? Because they seek God's grace. They seek God's salvation. Happy are the sick. Ever been sick? Probably have. They seek the healing of God. They seek the presence of God. They seek God in all the ways God can be known as a God who comes in a time of need. As he did those there sitting on the Mount of Beatitudes who came for this, this, and this, and got that, that, and that. Happy are the grieving because they seek God's peace. We recognize in those seasons only God has the answer. Only God has the answer for death. We hear messages like, one day sin will end and death will die. The promise of Christ's cross and resurrection. And here we find that moment made real to us. And we say, happy are those who grieve because we find peace looking at the only place it can be found, the God who comes to us in those seasons. Many of you have experienced that in your life. Some experience it even now. Happy are the dying, as we all are. The lesson for the 40-day challenge today, if you were doing that with many in, in our church, is they seek the resurrection. The central point of faith, we're going to celebrate in two weeks, we call Easter. They seek the resurrection that God offers us, and God does for us, and God gives us. And we celebrate that, we discover there's happiness even there in that place. What's the joy of the Christian life in our own journey? And I was lucky with my dad. My dad uh, was really smart about money, and he gave us good advice. Sometimes we listened, sometimes we didn't. Some of my family's listened, some of them haven't. We listened probably to about 50% of it. If we listened to 100%, we'd be really good. 50% is okay, because dad knew what we knew. Nothing else, dad knows what he's talking about. Now, are we going to do it or not is always our choice, right? Uh, and so we look to what Jesus tells us, and we say, okay, I think Jesus doesn't know what he's talking about. I believe that. Now, am I going to do it or not? That's the question. Will you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the words you give us. And Lord, we are listening. Some are trying to listen. We're tempted to understand what you would teach us today. But we know, God, Lord, what you were saying in Christ is true. And so we simply accept those words. May you apply them to our lives. We will, Lord, we might live happy lives. And that happiness reflect the good news of Christ in our marriages and families, church, workplace, and world. Maybe so in Jesus' name. Amen.